T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The top stories from the KCBS Radio Newsroom. This is the All Local. Good morning. I'm Margie Schaefer, and here's what's happening. As San Francisco starts to put up barriers on Cap Street in the Mission District to try and quell the proliferation of sex work, one city supervisor is suggesting a long-range plan that would take a page from Nevada and Amsterdam. The story from KCBS reporter Holly Kwan. This would certainly require a lot of debate and problem solving, but Supervisor Hillary Ronan is backing an idea to create a commercial zone to allow for regulated sex work. The only way you truly, truly fix this problem is by legalizing sex work, regulating it, getting it inside and and being able to protect um, the women engaging in, in this type of work. Some Mission District residents say they're seeing so much more drug dealing and prostitution, partly because of a concentrated push to clean up the tenderloin, which forced sex workers to gravitate to other neighborhoods. Right now, you'd have to change state law in order to legalize sex work, and Ronan is drafting a resolution urging state lawmakers to consider it. It's super frustrating to me that we just move this problematic, dangerous activity from street to street, and when you move it out of neighborhoods, you can actually end up isolating sex workers even more where they face even more dangers. Holly Kwan, KCBS. The owner of Oakland's Angel Cakes Bakery is in critical condition after a daylight robbery on Monday afternoon in the city's uptown neighborhood. The fiancé of Jennifer Angel tells us that Angel was blocked from leaving the Wells Fargo garage on Webster Street by another car before someone in that vehicle broke her car's window and snatched something. Angel chased them on foot as they drove away and somehow got caught in the car's door. She was dragged over 50 feet before she fell in the middle of the street. Angel was rushed to Highland Hospital and has undergone surgery. She remains unconscious. Her prognosis is unclear. Angel started Angel Cakes in 2008, which is located in Oakland's historic gingerbread house.
Long-awaited upgrades to Highway 37 could finally become a reality thanks to a new agreement between state transit and environmental agencies. KCBS's Mike DeWald is in the North Bay with details. Traffic is moving smoothly on Highway 37, but if this is part of your daily commute, you know just how difficult it can be. From the worst congestion in the Bay Area for those folks that uh, commute uh, from Solano County into Marin or Sonoma, uh, that piece backs up every day. Uh, like clockwork. At Sonoma County Supervisor David Rabbit, this agreement between agencies like Caltrans and the Metropolitan Transportation Commission includes a total redesign of the roadway. Just a vital east-west corridor for the North Bay. On the short term, the plan includes widening and adding another lane in each direction. Eric Lucan is a Nevada City Councilman. He says that will not only relieve traffic, but also pave the way for public transit. There are zero transit options on the 37 corridor right now. There's no bus lines, there's no commuter rail. Uh, and and even if there was, there's there's there aren't extra lanes to actually have you know free moving buses. As we saw with the January storms, this roadway is also susceptible to sea level rise and flooding. This agreement looks to make Highway 37 more resilient, potentially by raising the roadway, but no specific plan is in place. In Nevada, Mike DeWald, KCBS. 11 people, seven of them children, have been displaced by a house fire early today in East Palo Alto. The fire reported shortly after 5.30 in the morning at a home on Pulgas Avenue. Everyone in the house got out safely. The fire's been put out. No word yet on the cause. Twitter has been restored in Turkey after the government temporarily blocked the San Francisco social media company. KCBS's Matt Bigler reports the move was in reaction to criticism of the government's earthquake response. The social media blackout started after Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan toured some of the areas devastated by the 7.8 magnitude earthquake. Gözde Özkaze, international editor with the Mesopotamia News Agency in Ankara, says Erdogan accused critics of the government's emergency response of spreading misinformation about the disaster. So there was a great reaction to that uh, online, uh, in Twitter and um, in all over social media. So they uh, blocked social media uh, and uh, Twitter, and then there's a great reaction uh, to that, and uh, they had to allow the people uh, to uh, be back online. Mainly because some earthquake survivors have used social media to pinpoint their locations in the rubble and call for help. The Turkish police force arrested five people and detained 18 for sharing provocative posts. Meanwhile, the death toll in Turkey and in Syria has now passed 19,000. Matt Bigler, KCBS. Hey, good morning. Meteorologist Jessica Birch here. Beautiful, beautiful sunny skies for us today with upper 60s for our friends down in the Santa Clara Valley, the Tri-Valley area, and even up into the North Bay today. Tomorrow, a big change is on the way, though. We have low pressure moving its way in. It's going to bring us cooler temperatures and some showers returning into the forecast. We'll see hit or miss showers starting off tomorrow afternoon around the 5 o'clock hour. That continues into the overnight hours. And then by Saturday morning, slowly starts to taper off. But it will be a gloomy start to the day on Saturday. Luckily for the rest of the weekend, because it's Super Bowl weekend, we're going to be drying up with beautiful sunny skies for Sunday, and that's how we're kicking off next week, too. We'll keep you updated on those rain totals, but for now, I'm meteorologist Jessica Birch with your KCBS KPIX First Alert Forecast. Time now for Ask an Expert. Every weekday at this time on KCBS, we're giving you direct access to top experts across various fields. Today, we're talking about why so many students never return to school after the pandemic. And to answer your questions, we're joined live on the KCBS 
PBS Ring Central Newsline by Professor Rupika Rissam. She is part of the Digital Humanities and Social Engagement Cluster at Dartmouth College and former chair of secondary and higher education at Salem State University. Her research includes online learning and its impact on education. And if you have a question you would like answered, please email us, as always, at askus at kcbsradio.com. Professor, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Good morning, Margie. It's nice to be here. So uh, let's start with, um, we were talking about this analysis uh, by the Associated Press, um, Stanford University, and the Big Local News Project that found that thousands of kids are missing from school. Where did they go? It is just absolutely astounding to see what's happened in education since the beginning of the pandemic. The numbers are staggering. 240 thousand students unaccounted for. California alone has over 150,000 unaccounted students. And that's data that doesn't even include 29 states. Wait, so how does this happen? Where are they? So we're seeing a number of ways that children have so-called gone missing, right? We know they're not enrolled in public, private, or charter schools. We know that they're not being homeschooled. One issue is that data on the impact of homelessness shows a link between being absent from school and not having stable housing. So we know that students who are unhoused are twice as likely to not show up to school as economically disadvantaged students and five times more likely than higher income students. And it's really this vicious cycle because they miss school, then they're reading well below grade level, they're struggling in math, and then it de-incentivizes going to school because they feel like they're not good at it. Uh, no, what? That's it- one. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, well, that's just one category. I mean, another is that school refusal rates have been going through the roof regardless of socioeconomic status. Meaning what? They go to homeschool or they... No, no, no. The children won't go to school. And you just let them. You're you're not a truant if you don't go. Well, you are a truant if you don't go, but it's typically understood to be a form of anxiety. It's not really an anxiety disorder, but it goes hand in hand with separation anxiety and social anxiety and depression and panic disorder. And so we're seeing school-aged children, uh, this tremendous rise in anxiety disorders and depression. And the number often quoted is that depression and anxiety have more than doubled among young people. And so they're refusing to go to school. And then the parents are, are dealing with uh, how to how to address that. And then we have students who just are high school students who, who left and went to work because that seems like a better option. This is just so amazing to me. I want to, I want to share a cut uh, with one of the students that never went back to school because of the pandemic exacerbated mental issues, as you mentioned, that anxiety. Uh, high schooler uh, Kalani Taylor Cribb had. Um, she's from Cambridge, Massachusetts. I was really struggling with my mental health. Once again, I just felt really alone. And my teachers, they never try to get personal with me. Not uncommon. What do we do about it? Absolutely. Yeah, the important thing to remember is that schools are not just about learning. Schools are responsible for addressing the complex needs of students and the wraparound services. The schools are places where children get food. They get access to mental health help. They get access to and connections to social services, we think about the fact that some schools have a single social worker or guidance counselor for thousands of students. The recommended ratio is one social worker to 250 students. That number already feels 
super low when we think about the complex needs of students after the pandemic, but on the ground, the ratios are much higher. So in California, one social worker to 6,132 students. That's undoable. That's not possible. (laughs) No, absolutely not. And so school funding in the U.S. needs an overhaul. I want to talk about what happens when these kids aren't in school and how does that affect their development? And, and let's let's go the gamut, because when you're talking about like homeless kids or kids refusing to go to school, um, little kids, uh, I don't know, kindergarten, grade school. I mean, when you need to be learning the basics, excuse me, and up, up, up through high school. Yeah, absolutely, Margie. We're all over the map. We certainly have high school students uh, like the young woman whose clip you showed who just dropped out. And then we also have school-aged children who never even came to kindergarten. We've seen early childhood enrollments dropped by an estimated 9%, and the situation is actually worse in states that don't have a mandatory kindergarten. And so only 19 states in Washington, D.C. require kindergarten. And so in California, there were recent efforts to make it mandatory, but Gavin Newsom actually vetoed the bill because of the cost. And this is, this is also an issue before the pandemic, because when we look at comparative data about so-called missing children before and after the pandemic, there really weren't that many before the pandemic. And now uh, we're seeing these declines. And if we're not getting them in the door in kindergarten, it makes it much more difficult to get them in the door later. Well, that whole idea of you have to learn to read before you can read to learn. It's just the basics for survival in life. It's so true. I mean, there's a real developmental effect on missing out on that consistent instruction needed to develop basic skills. In those early childhood years, children are really susceptible to falling behind in those fundamental reading and math skills. And without that foundation, the rest of the learning becomes even more difficult, like a snowball effect of not having those basic literacy and and math skills. And that's just the learning piece, right? There's all the other things that schools do. We've got the learning piece. We've got the human piece. What about the impact of these missing kids on the school budgets? Yeah, that's a real, real concern because when children leave schools, dollars leave schools. We see this with charter schools. Money gets diverted from public schools to charter schools. But even when children aren't showing up for enrollment, the schools are losing revenue. And at the same time, their costs aren't going down. So right now, many schools are already chronically understaffed and they're chronically underfunded. They have less money for their operating costs when the students don't show up. And then the cuts have to come from somewhere. And this is really acute in lower income areas where public schools already have less funding. And then the cuts have an impact on the students still there. So class sizes go up, they have fewer extracurricular opportunities, perhaps even fewer staff, and then our most underserved students in this nation end up in worse shape because that money's gone. Uh, Professor, we do have a question, and that is, what does this say about what a more functional approach to school should be? Absolutely. I think we need to start with understanding that schools just aren't about teaching, reading, writing, arithmetic, and understanding that schools are the ones who are on the front lines of understanding that someone needs to be looking out for which of our children are being abused, are are hungry, are unhoused, or need a connection to psychological services. And that really at the heart of it goes back to funding. When we think about the ways that public schools are funded, 90% of funding comes from states and from the local uh, municipalities. And that's largely related to the property tax base. There's very little money coming in from the federal government. And so in low-income areas, schools get less funding per student than in high-income areas. So the most vulnerable students are the ones who get the least money. And so we need greater investment from the states, but we really need investment from the federal government, particularly in low-income areas. 
because those are the students more likely to need the access to those full wraparound services that school must provide. And also, the students there are the ones who are most uh, least likely to be able to access them. Oh, what about intervention? Is there a role for intervention, and, and how should that occur to get these kids back to school? I mean, they can't just say no, right? Or can they? I guess they can. So I've had children, I've had friends with children who've been struggling with school refusal, uh, who they don't, they don't want to go to school. And I know people whose children haven't been in school since February, 2020. I think it's important to not blame the students and not blame their parents. The parents I know have been dealing with this have been looking at the root causes, the bullying, the social isolation, the anxiety, the depression, and really tackling those as a first way to smooth a path of entry back into school. And it's been very long and very slow and painful for all of them. But these are the people in the best possible circumstances because they have the financial means and they have the flexibility to get their children whatever help they need. And that's just not most people in the U.S. So So I have a... Yeah, yeah, go on. Oh, I was going to say, I have, I have a friend who has a teenager who decided to leave school and start working for a cleaning service because their family is struggling financially and she just didn't see the value of continuing when she could make money instead. And what we saw early in the pandemic was a lot of direct outreach that was being done by schools. They would email parents, they'd call parents, they'd show up at the knock on the door and say, where is your kid and why isn't your kid in school? And that's really fallen off. But at this point, it's, we're going to make an approach back to families, we need to show that we can give the students the support and help that they need. You, you, you mentioned you called it a path to a path of entry. Um, what is the, what is the best approach? I mean, just to take a kid and to put them in a, you know, in a big classroom, uh, that might be intimidating, especially for someone uh, suffering from um, anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why there needs to be a more concerted role of schools and connected connecting students into the kinds of services that they need to address the challenges that are the root causes of why they won't go to school. We also need opportunities for more social emotional learning among students, more opportunities to bridge some of those social divides that we've seen forming since the beginning of the pandemic in order to make it a place that feels welcoming, that feels hospitable, particularly for the ones who've been away for so long. And I know you could write a book on this because it's what you study. But um, how has online learning impacted education? That has been a real challenge since the beginning of the pandemic. It really was an attempt to provide educational connection, particularly during the stay-at-home time. But at the same time, for so many students, it led to a really profound disconnection. And we can't really blame teachers for that because they were doing the best they could without preparation. But there were so many social factors affecting students' experiences. So we had students who didn't have access to the Internet or didn't have unstable Internet access. There would be parents who would be driving and sitting in the parking lots of schools so the children could access the Internet through the school's Wi-Fi network. We had students who just didn't have devices. They didn't have computers. They didn't have tablets. And even when schools were buying them and trying to give them out to students, they were struggling to do that. And then we also have the, the students dealing with all of this at the same time. They're experiencing illness and, and loss, and they're also missing out on the milestones of being, of being children. So there's a lot to catch up on. What's the best approach? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the challenges to catching up is the way that so much focus has been on testing and standardized test scores. The limitation of assessing students only through standardized testing is that it really fails to account 
for the situations where we're seeing educational challenges that aren't simply about education, but are also social. So the answer can't be just educational. A lot of us who have worked in education, I myself as a high school teacher, we've always thought of schools as lighthouses or beacons for their communities because we do so much more than teach children and adolescents. We're providing supports, we're providing food, we're providing mental health services, and we're providing social services. And so making sure that schools have the funding to get those services online and optimized to more fully meet the needs of these students is going to be a way to begin addressing the educational gaps. Thank you so much for your insight and for being our guest on Ask an Expert. We've been joined on the KCBS Ring Central Newsline by Professor Rupika Rissam, and she is part of the Digital Humanities and Social Engagement Cluster at Dartmouth College. Subscribe to the All Local wherever you get your podcasts and stream us on your smart speaker 24-7 by saying, play KCBS Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.